from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to examine how we're moving forward as a drinks business during the COVID-19 crisis. Today, I'm talking with Ryan Burke, head cider maker of Angry Orchard. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Adam. Happy to be here. Thank you. Of course, man. First question, why is the why is the Orchard angry? <laughs> Um, well, it's a bit of a play on a, a few different things. Um, you know, the apples that we grow specifically for cider making, they're a little bit more akin to the grapes that are grown for winemaking, right? So a lot of people don't know that, um, that there are apples grown specifically for cider making, apples that you wouldn't eat, apples when you bite into them, they, they don't really taste great unless you're looking to make great cider from them. Um, and so then there's things like, you know, very high levels of acidity or um, really high levels of tannin um, that, you know, you bite into it and it's sort of dry and it would spit it out. People call them spitters. Um, and so it's a bit of a play on that, that, the, you know, the apples are kind of angry. They're kind of gnarly. Um, they don't necessarily fit the grocery store look and feel. Um, it's more about what's inside. Um, and so obviously we're looking to turn what's inside into, into, um, you know, cider, hard cider. So, um, it's sort of play on that a little bit of whimsy, a little bit of sort of mysticalness, um, of an old orchard too. Right. So you can imagine the, um, big old trees, big gnarly old trees. And so we just sort of like playing in that kind of whimsical space. Um, yeah. and it, it, I think it fits the brand and the sort of playful nature of the brand. So, um, you know, we've talked about cider a few times on the, on the podcast before. I've written about it, obviously, extensively um, at Vine Pear. Um, but I, I'm curious. So first of all, how did you get into cider in the first place? So I come by it pretty honestly. I grew up in a little town called Williamson, New York, uh, okay. w- which is between, you know, more or less between Syracuse and Rochester. Um, it is where Mott's is located. Um, so Mott's apple juice, applesauce, yep. all that kind of stuff. Um, not a lot going on in that town besides the orchards um, that are uh, growing a lot of apples that get that get put into Mott's products. Um, on top of that, it was a dry town from Prohibition into the two until twenty two thousand four, I think. I'm really starting, starting to slip my memory at this point, but somewhere around two thousand four, we uh, we allowed the sale of alcoholic beverages in the town of Williamson. So, you know, industrious uh, young people. I, I I won't say what age. It's cool. You were thirteen. It's fine. like myself, <laughs> like myself and my friends. Um, you know, we might have looked around at the fruit that we had available and uh, had older brothers or friends or dads or sisters who, um, you know, instructed what might be possible <laughs> with those apples. And uh, that that was my earliest introduction to the concept of cider. Um, I, okay. Obviously, at, at Williamson Senior High School, they did not tell you you could go on to uh, make uh, cider or be a cider maker. Um, but I sort of found my way there through homebrewing in college. Um, eventually, I ended up in Chicago for a while. And there, I got really into like the, the homebrew scene. Um, and yeah, there was like a scene for it. Uh, yeah. we threw a lot of parties. There was like a lot of competition. Um, and actually everybody, we kind of had this, this, you know, homebrew click, if you will. And almost everybody that was involved in that, including some chefs have gone on to either work for somebody or start their own brewery, um, or restaurant. So it was actually a really cool creative space that I was in. Um, but ultimately it got me, um, in front of, uh, the folks that were starting Virtue Cider out in Michigan. And, um, I 
yeah, I got in right at the beginning of that and helped build that brand and their early ciders and um, opened up their cider house and became their head cider maker, um, was there for five or so years um, before leaving and becoming the head cider maker at Angry Orchard. So is it is this just my own sort of impression or is this true that like more people get into cider through brewing than winemaking? Because I think you know, you saying earlier that, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, the apples are more akin to grapes. You'd think that a lot of people who got in, would get into winemaking would get into cider making. I, I know a lot of cider makers who treat their ciders a lot more like wine, sure. aging it, creating some, you know, very dry, very sparkling-esque uh, styles. Um, so is, is that just because that's what I'm thinking in my head? Like, oh, more brewers or cider makers than winemakers. And is that completely incorrect or is that true for some reason? No, I think... I, I mean, when I was getting into it, um, I think cider, the conversation around cider was also a conversation around beer. Okay. Um, I think, you know, that's how it was being sold. Um, it's in the bar, it's sparkling, it's on draft, it's in a pint glass. People are right. like, people are like expecting there to be head in the glass, like a beer. Of course there isn't. Um, I remember like that was one of the challenges we had in 2010, 2011, when, when we were doing virtue was there was like this expectation that it should somehow look like a beer. I'm like, okay, well it isn't beer, it's cider. Um, and that was just like the conversation in the bars at the time. Um, and certainly Angry Orchard is being sold that way on draft, sparkling, in right. pint glass. Um, so I think that was an expectation. And I think brewer, beer and brewing saw an opportunity. Um, so you did have people involved in beer, like kind of jumping into cider at that time. I think we're having a different conversation about cider these days. And yeah, as we the, are. Yeah, and as the industry's grown, um, and as you mentioned, people are treating their cider like wine, not to say that wasn't happening 10, 15, even 25, 30 years ago in America, but very few people were thinking about it that way. Now people are thinking about it that way, especially um, up and down the East Coast and and definitely in New York State, where there's just like a more of a winemaker approach to a lot of the great cider that's being made here. So I, I don't I, I wonder if sometimes wine folks would see it like a, as a step backwards rather than a step forwards to focus on on cider and cider apples. Um, not that, you know, maybe that it's a, a bit beneath them. Um, whereas I think uh, on a beer, from a beer standpoint, it's seen as like an innovation and like an innovative opportunity. We're also seeing brewers put everything uh, in a beer, right? Anything you can imagine they're throwing in a beer. And so like stepping over to cider isn't necessarily a big jump. Um, whereas wine, you know, to a much lesser extent, almost nil, um, are you seeing people, you know, make coffee wine or whatever like that, right. you know? So I think I just see generally a wine, like wine folks, like keeping sort of, uh, you know, intentions very pure and focusing on grapes. Um, so I think you see it less, although I've had people come through our cider house in New York who have, you know, winemaking backgrounds. And I really welcome that around our cider because we like to have sort of a diverse approach to what, what we're doing in New York. Well, so yeah. So, th so speaking a little bit about like the, uh, what you mentioned, this sort of new, new way that I think you're right. We've seen in the past two or three years of people, you know, looking at cider 
in a, in a more artisanal way. So really thinking of it as this, you know, oh, maybe I won't pour it a pint, in a pint glass. I'll, I'll pour it in a, you know, in a tulip or in a wine glass um, and, and treat it, look for, looking for drier styles, et cetera. Yep. Do you think that that's also sort of being fueled now by the rise of hard seltzer? And what I mean by that is I think a lot of times, at least, you know, five, seven years ago, cider seemed to be being used by a lot of people as the alternative to people who didn't want beer at the bar. Yep. And now I feel like that's become seltzer in a lot of ways, which actually has allowed cider to shine as what it is, which is this, you know, amazing artisanal product that comes from, you know, great fruit that can be made in a lot of styles. Um, you know, do you think that that, that could be the case as well? Oh man. I love to not talk about hard seltzer when I talk about cider. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I mean, I feel like but, there's been so much connection to it in the yeah. past that, it, that it's curious. Oh, you can't deny it. You cannot deny it. Um, you know, I, I think that's an interesting um, observation. I, you know, I don't know. I I think you're definitely right on the alternative. And I think it's something that I've been talking about for years because we're certainly, we've also said, Angry Orchard has said an alternative to beer. I think, you know, sort of back to some uh, the earlier question. Um, yeah. You, you know, we, we kind of had to talk about cider as an alternative to beer to get people to understand what it was or to even listen to us as an industry. Right. Um, and I, and I, I hadn't thought about bringing seltzer into the conversation, but it's definitely something that I I've thought about and said a lot. It was like, I'm tired of talking about cider as an alternative to anything, right. because to me, cider is not an alternative. Cider is itself. And it is, uh, it's such a diverse, uh, category with so much history across the world and so much, uh, so many opportunities for innovation, a lot of that innovation happening in the U.S., which is exciting um, that, you know, I'm, I kind of like never want to talk about it as an alternative, right. you know, <laughs> I'm just like, well, I, I don't, you know, we, we've also had to be, well, it's an alternative to wine. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know what, what if wine was an alternative to cider? Right. Um, because we're making cider, not just us, but the industry is making cider that I think stands up to the greatest of anything. Um, and if seltzers uh, come around and, and, and enabled us to, to focus on that more then then I'll take it. I, it's, I think it's interesting because uh, that you bring up, up this point, because I, I think there is this desire, you know, amongst the press we're guilty of as well of saying, yeah, if you don't like this, then drink this now, instead of saying like, there are perfect occasions for each of these things. Yeah. Um, and there's times when you just want to crave, one as opposed to another, like you may really want a sparkling cider as opposed to sparkling wine some days because of what that gives you and the flavor that it provides. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about the innovations happening here. What innovations are those for people that aren't aware? Because I think most people might just think, wait, aren't we just all fermenting apples? Yeah. So, uh, so what is happening in the U.S. that's really exciting right now for cider? Sure. Yeah, I think, well, I'll, I'll speak to what's like most exciting to me personally. Yeah. Um, first, and that's that there's just been a ton of work um, from coast to coast on apple varieties um, that work well in a given terroir. And I, and I'm really excited about that. That's, that's really a lot of innovation because a lot of the varieties that we know um, of are European varieties, right? In fact, they all are really. Um, there is some work at some of the universities to develop, you know, interesting high tannic varieties that are of, say, New York State. Um, but most of the varieties that we we look to as cider makers are English and French and to some extent Spanish um, in origin. Um, but they don't necessarily work here. Um, so what 
grows well in England um, won't necessarily grow well in New York State. Um, and there's a lot of trial and error to to, to figure that out. Um, and then what grows well in New York State probably won't grow so well in Oregon. So, you know, what do we, what are the growing practices we need to address in order to get this fruit to grow? Do we need to just use totally different varieties? Do we need to lend, you know, work with universities um, and their extension programs? So you have a lot of buzz around what's going to work well um, in different parts of the country. And I think what ultimately that does what I hope that it does is that it drives eventually like really terroir driven ciders um, that we can talk about the same way we talk about, say, Pinot grown in um, Oregon or Cab Franc grown in the Finger Lakes um, or Riesling um, and why those varieties matter. Um, we're trying to do that with an apple called Newtown Pippin in New York State, um, which is a New York State apple, uh, was, was founded here. Um, and maybe that apple has an opportunity for us to really drive um, a conversation around terroir and locality and an apple that grows, you know, really well here. And we can have cider makers around the state um, really, really pushing that forward and, and, and defining what quality means and have a variety that we can rally around um, like they do in Oregon with Pinot, for instance. That's really exciting to me. Um, and then I think, you know, the, 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 the difference with cider and say wine um, is it is a little bit more playful as an industry with depending on who you ask, but that's, that's my, that's my view. Um, you know, you could go out to Seattle to a cider bar and there might be 40 draft lines and, you know, five of them or 10 of them are just cider made from apples and the rest could be cider with, you know, fill in the blank added to it, honey, ginger, um, hops, uh, you know, any, all varieties of fruit. Um, and that's accepted within, you know, the drinking public. Um, right. And it wouldn't be so accepted in the sort of the wine drinking public. It would be definitely frowned upon. Uh, and there certainly are people in the cider industry that frown upon it. Um, I think you have a, a lot of different points of view around that. But I, but whatever your point of view, it is interesting and it is innovative and it's fast moving. It puts cider in that sort of fast moving kind of cocktail space where, yeah. all, all, you know, there's always innovation happening. There's always a new flavor. Um, I think that's, you know, that's fun. Um, you know, my preference is to drink a cider, you know, made of, of apples that's representative of the apples that go into it. And the, you know, hopefully the fermentation practices of a, of a great cider maker. But I, but I think, um, the other side of things is sort of fruit ciders and sort of constant innovation ciders uh, is also a fun place to play. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that actually the, the cocktail piece I've, I had a cider recently, that a maker, I can't remember the name of the brand now, but that's okay because we're talking about Angry Orchard. But right. <laughs> uh, they uh, they used the cider and they kind of like, and maybe you've done this as well too. They they sort of like used it with a uh, with a wood flavoring, and it it almost like mocked the flavor of whiskey. And then they were creating like a, it was almost like an RTD with that flavor, but it was cider, and it was really cool. It was really cool actually. I was like, holy crap! So I'm drinking something that's low ABV. Yep. But that tastes like I'm having a whiskey cocktail. Yep. I think it was a kind of like almost like a whiskey sour-esque thing. And it was all cider-based. I thought that was really interesting. And so I guess, yeah, playing right into the innovation you're talking about, some people might frown upon that. But I also thought it was cool that you could do that 
with cider that you really can't do with other things. Yeah, I think so. And we 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 just we honestly just did something very similar. And we have a cider that we age in bourbon barrels. Um, oh, cool. We, we're using traditional cider apples. We age it. Um, it has a three year minimum. I'm sorry, three year maximum age statement on it. So we do. Um, um, sort of Solera method, bourbon barrel age cider. Um, it comes out, you know, around 10.5% ABV, which is kind of high for a cider, but for a cocktail, it's not. And so we actually um, worked with this um, a mint farmer um, in Kentucky who was out of business basically because the Derby didn't run this year or it, it, yeah. ran, it ran late. And so he's the mint farmer for the Kentucky Derby. So he had all this extra mint um and so we we got some of that mint and we we basically made a, a mint julep cider that you could pour out um you know throw some sugar in a glass um put a little simple syrup in and pour the cider over it with ice and you basically have a low abv cocktail um that really, sounds was, awesome yeah it was a cool it was fun you know so it's 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 like the focus especially in new york is more on uh terroir driven fermentation driven um, varietal ciders, we still can do, you know, fun stuff like that. And it gives people something to get excited about. And, you know, despite all the things going on in the world, we still had a bunch of people show up here to buy it. And, um, it was, um, yeah, it was a success. That's awesome. So if someone was saying like, look, I've heard about cider, you know, but I'm not really sure where to, like, how, how would you suggest one get into cider? I mean, my, my personal recommendation is always alongside food. Um, okay. if we got to get real simple. It could just be cheese. A, a, most cider will pair well with a, a great cheddar, right? To start somewhere very simple and broad. Okay. Um, and so, man, if I could have, you know, Cabot Clothbound from Jasper Hill and a, and a medium sweet, bittersweet cider. Um, I mean, that's my, like, that's my desert Island meal. Okay. Um, awesome. So, so um, I think cider's greatest opportunity is at the table. Um, and, you know, in, if we're talking about it in, in, in sort of wine terms or like, what, how is it similar to similar to wine? You know, one of the things that I think cider really has that's, that's fantastic is the lower ABV, but still being able to deliver on the same, you know, if you find the right cider, you can find a cider that's high in tannin, um, that has great acidity, that's sparkling or still. Um, and so we can sort of get all the same things that you want out of a wine, but you can get it at half the ABV. And so for my personal style of eating and drinking, which I, I would always love it to be very long format, um, you know, is the ability to like have quite a few drinks, but not get drunk. Um, and I really appreciate that's something I, as a eater and drinker, um, really appreciate about cider. Um, so it, it can be tough to find those ciders. You really got to start getting into it and understanding who your, who your growers are, who your, who your cider makers are. But once you get into that, um, I think it's pretty, pretty easy to go from there. Um, if you understand what tannin and acidity is, you know, you can read that on the cider label too. Um, so I, I think, that's yeah that's my um that's my favorite way to experience cider so i i love that to be the pathway for other people so you know we i'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about just the current state of things sure um so how how have you been affected by you know what's what's currently going on in the world uh you know as a cider maker and what is happening right now um for angry orchard yeah so 
Um, we definitely had some challenges in early harvest, um, just with um, with people on the farm. We were we we basically shut down, um, and we kind of we've gotten around that. Um, we actually we're gonna have a great harvest this year, so we're really looking forward to that. Um, we def we shut down production completely for a couple months. Um, and that was definitely challenging. We've, we've now opened up, um, sort of alongside the, um, alongside New York state guidelines. Um, and so we, we closed our tasting room, of course, um, that is now open and we're, we're at really limited capacity. Um, we see quite a large number of folks on the weekends in a normal year here. And most of the cider that we're making in New York at Walden is just for sale in New York at Walden. We don't do a lot of distribution. So a lot of the cider is, you know, a hand sell and a conversation with um, our staff, um, you know, and, and, and drinkers that come to visit us here. So that part's been a bit challenging. Um, this is where we're seeing, you know, 180 or 200 people a day versus a thousand or 2000 people. So yeah, we are, we are reopened, um, you know, but we're, we're used to seeing people just show up. Now we're having to do, um, you know, it's reservations, um, it's table service. Nobody can come inside. Uh, we know, which is luckily we have a 60 acre orchard and we can right. kind of have people spread out on the property, but we've also put a lot of work into revamping our tasting room and, you know, we're unable to have guests in there. So, um, yeah, the sort of future of the hospitality side is kind of un unknown as we get into colder months. Yeah, totally. Um, but, you know, we're making do and people are coming and we're selling our seats out. Uh, people definitely want to get out of the house and have a cider. And, you know, we've got food on the farm and, um, you know, it's been luckily really dry and beautiful uh, most of the summer. And is it, it, will it, do you think, impact harvest? And when will harvest happen for you for the apples? Yeah, harvest is happening. It's, it's a happening. little yeah, it's it's actually a little bit earlier this year than than normal. Um we're just starting to pull um some of the bittersweet fruit um off the trees right now. So the, the high tannic, um sort of low sugar high tannic uh or I'm sorry, high sugar high tannic fruit is coming off a little bit right now. So we're just getting started. Um it'll push through November. Okay. Um yeah. Because I feel like that's like the the misconception that a lot of New Yorkers like myself have that like, oh, we're going to go apple picking. And we always think like, let's go apple picking late October, early November when we get to the orchard and like no apples are on the trees anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that most, you know, most varieties are off in October, um, September, October. And then actually some of the greatest varieties, um, which New York grows very well, are the high acid varieties like uh, Northern Spy, Newtown Pippin. Um, you know, those apples will hang on the tree through November if you, if you, if you do it right. And so we, we generally do, um, and we'd like to keep that fruit on the tree a bit longer just for, you know, sugar development. Interesting. And so in terms of just, you know, growing out apples, uh, out of curiosity, I know like with, with grapevines, right. You really won't take, you know, high quality fruit from the grapevine until like the third year it's planted. Yep. What, what does it look like when you're, when you're dealing with, with apple trees and planting orchards, how long are you? is it taking for you to be able to, you know, harvest really high quality fruit? And what does that, uh, you know, look like in terms of planning? Sure. It, it sort of depends on how you plant, um, not dissimilar from, from wine. Um, I would say there's a, 
um, there's only a conversation insider Apple growing um, as to what the right system is. Um, you'll have people that say you can only grow fruit on sort of a big system, big old trees, um, you know, that the rootstock allows the trees to get, you know, 20 feet tall, um, sort of the old traditional orchard, if you will. Um, but then at the same time, people are planting very modern, very close together on trellises, looks a lot more like a winery. Um, when you do that, you'll get fruit a lot faster. Um, when you do it the old way, it takes quite a bit longer. Um, so we could have fully grown trees on a, on a modern system in five-ish eight years will be fully grown won't grow anymore um we'll start getting fruit off those trees in the first year or two we won't get high quality fruit for we probably won't pick for 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 cider for three to four years um, and so we do a mix we do some grafting too so we're reusing our old rootstocks um, and so we do have a mix uh sort of one of the interesting things about our site in walden um, is we have uh, trees that have been grafted over um, to an old system. Uh, well, we've also replanted old, an old system that matches that grafting system. And then we've also planted new system. So much more closer together, way more trees to the acre. And then we have the same variety growing across all three systems. And so we're actually gonna be able to, at some point um, when everything is being harvested at the same time, everything is coming in at a high quality, we'll actually have the same apples growing across three different systems and get to look at, does the system actually affect the quality of the apple and does that carry through to the final cider? Something that I'm super excited about. That's super cool. I, I mean, yeah, that's really, really cool. Awesome. Well, Ryan, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for taking um, the time to, to speak with me today and chat a little bit more about cider. Uh, you know, as it's obviously post Labor Day, getting into fall, I'm, I know it's a, a time people think about when, as we talked about apple picking and things like that in cider. So, no better time than now to to grab some. Um, what should people drink from Angry Orchard if they were if they were looking to get into to the stuff you guys are making now? Sure. Yeah. Well, if you have the ability to come by Walden, um, then we uh, were just putting out some new cans of cider, which is pretty new for us. Um, so we have some single variety ciders. One is our Newtown Pippin, um, 100% Newtown Pippin apples. And one is Baldwin, again, 100% Baldwin apples. They're bone dry, they're unfiltered, a um, little bit of sparkle. They're really, really fun to drink. Um, and if you can't come to Walden, then, then sort of what's available on a national level are unfiltered. Um, is a, a cider I'm super proud of. Um, it's, a, it's sort of medium sweet, um, it's 6% ABV. It is unfiltered, not just a clever name. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty hazy. Um, it's got a lot of traditional bittersweet cider apples in it. So really reminiscent of like English cider you might drink in the countryside. Um, and so that's another favorite um, if, if you're unable to get to visit us in New York. Amazing. Well, thanks again so much for, uh, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I'll be able to get to Walden sometime soon. I hope so. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.